with me, if you will, that a 17-year-old farm girl went into the halls of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and forcefully demanded that she speak to the Secretary of Defense, saying to, her, saying to the Secretary of Defense that God has given her a plan to end all terrorism in the United States and for our allies. She only required an army of soldiers with weapons. Truthfully, and rightfully so, most people would assume that this young woman was, well, touched in the head. <laughs> or at least extremely naive that such a feat could be accomplished. The last thing we would imagine is that she actually was sent by God. And that everything she said was true and would come to pass exactly as she would describe it. This was basically the scenario that faced the French military and political figures in 1429 when a humble, uneducated, 17-year-old girl from a small village appeared before them. And now in order to appreciate what this young girl was, was proposing, we have to understand the situation at France at that time. And you history buffs will know this. The war that had come to be known as the Hundred Years' War had been raging on and off since 1337. The English, having taken over vast tracts of France by 1429, were basically winning this war. And they hoped to literally crown their efforts by putting an English king on the French throne. But this young, uneducated farm girl innocently and forcefully explained to the French officials that she had been sent by God to drive the English out of the great city of Orleans. What's more is that she claimed she would in, ensure the proper, that a proper Frenchman... Charles VII was crowned king of France. A gentleman named Eric Metaxas writes in his book, Seven Women and the Secret of Their Greatness. He says, taking her seriously was out of the question. And yet somehow, in the end, the befuddled and desperate leaders of France did just that. They took her seriously. After all, they had run out of sensible options in trying to fight this war, and they had nothing to lose. But far less bizarre than them taking her serious is the fact that she would actually succeed in everything she said she would do. This is almost impossible to consider. But history records that it happened. Who is this miracle farm girl that saved France? You would know her as Joan of Arc. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you once again for the opportunity we have to look at your word. I thank you for the time we're able to take today and look at the meaning of your name. As we do that, as we examine your word, as we look at one of the names you go by, I pray that it will be a name that will in turn encourage us and give us strength to go before and uh, Continue to be a reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're in a series right now that's called What's in a Name? And I'm not here this morning to praise the name or the person that is Joan of Arc. I'm actually here to proclaim and praise the name of God on this Memorial Day weekend. You see, Joan of Arc not only lived out her faith in God and what she believed, but she was willing to die for that belief. At 17 years old, she would lead an army of Frenchmen into battle and they would be victorious. That's the... Cliff Notes version of what actually took place. She was not concerned with the odds. 
She was only concerned with her belief that God had called her to do something that was far bigger than herself, far bigger than what she actually understood at that time. And she answered that call. My question for you this morning is, how does a young farm girl who never learned to read, who never even learned to read the Bible, could grow in her faith to a point of confronting her government with a plan to save them and win a major war? How does that even happen? Well, for starters, Joan was not concerned with her own strength or her own knowledge. What she depended on was the strength of our God, El. That's the name of God that we're going to look at today, El. It means the strong one. Did you know that the name for God, this name for God, El, occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament alone? including a couple of compound uses. Uh, El is a Semitic name for God. It's also used by other cultures to refer to their gods, uh, little g, not powerful like our God. It's used in some compound proper names as well, such as Israel, which means wrestles with God, the strong one, or Beth-el, which means the house of God, the strong house of God. One of my favorites is Elisha, or if we break it down, it would be Elisha, which is the strong one is salvation. You see, Joan of Arc believed and lived out the fact that God is more powerful than any false God, than any other religion. You know, there are other people who knew this as well. Moses is one of them. He even sang about it as they escaped from the Egyptians in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 2. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly, excuse me, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. Moses also reminds the Israelites again in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. He says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Our God, El, the strong one, he will overcome any obstacle. He, He will overcome, he has overcome any obstacle to reach you. He has a furious longing for a relationship with us. Our God has a furious longing for a relationship with you. He's already shown he will overcome any obstacle for us. He overcame the obstacle of sin. He has the strength to restore us. We can depend on El. We can depend on his strength even when we're going through times where we have no strength ourselves. Our anchor All through the Old Testament, there are stories of God's strength prevailing Uh, from the flood where he was he was strong to discipline. And he he saved uh, Noah and his family through the flood into delivering the Israelites from slavery that I just shared with you as he brought them into the promised land. 
You look through the Bible, we see that God's strength is what delivered Daniel from the lion's den. His strength is what encouraged Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to face the fiery furnace. God's strength is what delivered Goliath into the hands of David. I could go on and on all day about examples of God's strength throughout the Old Testament and about how we can depend on El, on our God of strength. But I want to look at a similar name that we find in the New Testament. In my opinion, it's a name that parallels the name El. It also comforts those who are broken and weakened by sin and overwhelmed by life. I I pray that it might comfort you. It's, It's a simple name. It's the name Almighty. And it's one of the names of Jesus. I'll say it again. The Almighty and the name El. The the name Almighty. You know, what's in a name? There's power in these two names. This is real. This isn't some let's give God a cute nickname series. Let's let's call him Fluffy or something. No, this this is El. This is Almighty. This is bigger than us. When we look at what's in a name, the names we're looking at today are full of power. Are you broken? Are you alone? Are you depressed? Are you defeated? Are you lost? Are you overwhelmed? Reach out to El, the strong one. Reach out to Jesus, the Almighty. These are not empty promises in these names, brothers and sisters. God is the strong one. Jesus is all-powerful. Christ is the all-powerful Lord. Nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is impossible for him. There there are some related titles for Jesus the Almighty. They're mighty God. Mighty in battle. Potentate. Studying the names of God, I just thought that potentate was part of a song. (laughs) but I realized it was a real word. It had real meaning and it meant powerful. And not not just for anyone, but for for God. He's referred to as power of God. We can see these uses in the following verses I want to share with you. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. I love that, that Isaiah, in prophesying about Christ, puts mighty God and Prince of Peace in the same prophecy, in the same sentence, if you will. Psalm 24, verses 7 through 8 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord. Mighty in battle. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're in a physical battle or a spiritual battle. The Lord is mighty in battle. Jesus the Almighty will deliver you from the mouth of the lion and from the sin that has trapped you. The question is, will you let him? Will you put your pride down and quit depending on yourself and depend on El, the strong one? Will you allow the Almighty Jesus to become the Lord of your life? I charge you this morning with the same charge that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. He said, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he 
will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We can depend on El. We can depend on Jesus, the Almighty. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25 with me also. Verse 22 says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Did you catch that in verse 24? To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then it says this, the weakness of God is stronger than men. L, the strong one. We will never truly understand the power that is in the names of God and Jesus. But I want you to know something. You are not alone. Mark 15, 34 says that while Jesus was on the cross, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you see that name for God that Jesus used? He says, strong one. He cried out, strong one, strong one. Why have you forsaken me? It's simple. He turned his back on Jesus for a moment because he wanted to open his arms to you. He has a furious longing for a relationship with you. To the point that he would allow, that he would ordain for his son's death to cover your sins. Jesus knew this plan. It wasn't something new. He knew this plan and he was willing to be a part of it because he also has a furious longing for a relationship with you to the point that he gave his life. No one took it. He gave it. So what are you willing to give back to him? Joan of Arc was willing to give her life for what she believed. She was able to do amazing things. She was able to do the things that she did because she depended on and she believed in that name of God, El. She believed in the strong one and in Jesus the Almighty. She never claimed that any of her ideas or her strengths were her own. She never claimed that any of her victories were for herself. She continuously gave God the glory for her life. She was able to do that even though she was not a learned person. She was a faithful person. History tells us that Joan of Arc spent hours in her parents' garden praying to God. Matter of fact, one of the historians talks about how her friends admitted to making fun of her because she spent so much time praying She had such a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. She couldn't read, but she could pray. And she did as as Christians, you know, we often bring up the things we don't know, the things we can't do. 
We use those as the reasons we don't share Jesus with others. We cower behind our spiritual ignorance. I don't have enough scripture memorized. I don't, I don't go to Bible college. I can't tell people about the Lord. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I don't have the strength to tell somebody about God. My parents didn't teach me everything I needed to know. Joan of Arc didn't rely on her parents' faith. She didn't rely on her friends. As I said, her friends made fun of her for praying so much. And for spending so much time at that little country church, she would continually go to learn all she could about God. She couldn't read, but she made sure that people were telling her about God. She wasn't concerned with their thoughts. The example I want you to get from Joan of Arc, it doesn't matter whether you're four or 104. We are without excuse to know who God is as Christians. We can no longer go to those to those opportunities and say, well, I just don't know enough. That's too bad. I don't have the Bible memorized. You don't have to. You know what Jesus Christ, the Almighty, has done in your life. That's all you need to share with someone. An illiterate farm girl who couldn't read, who couldn't even sign her name on the paper that was written that called her a heretic. She just simply drew a circle with a cross in it because she couldn't even sign her name. She knew enough to know the Lord called her to do something that was bigger than herself. She knew enough to know that God called her to do something that changed the whole course of history. We talk about what's in a name, and I say a name like Joan of Arc, and the funny thing is is that some feminists think that she stood for a whole lot of things she didn't stand for because they don't know the whole story. They didn't study the history. We mention somebody at Joan of Arc, and we go, oh, she went and fought like a man. It's true. One of the unique things about the story of Joan of Arc, is historians supposedly, as it's written, I guess you have to trust our history books, but as I was looking into this on the history side, they said that the men she led into battle, and I don't know if you know this, but back then, soldiers were not very savory people. They did a lot of bad things when they would, they would go into a village, and they would sack it. They would burn houses. They would rape women. They would pillage. They would take what they want. She changed that culture of the men that fought for her. It's, it's noted that the men even said, we never had a desire to treat her badly. That's impressive. A 17-year-old girl amongst seasoned war heroes, war veterans, if you will, and they followed her into battle. She did things that maybe you may think there's no way that could actually happen. But it's, it's in history. It's part of our history. She wasn't concerned with what people thought about her. She was concerned with what God thought about her. She was concerned with representing God, with being his reflection. And it was with that strength that she walked in to talk to the leaders of France. She was denied several times. And she actually went back every time. And finally, she convinced them by telling them things that no one else would know. It's a great story. I encourage you to look into it. But she went back every time because God called her to something. We do just the opposite. I think I'll do this for the Lord. We hit a little bit of a wall and we go, well, maybe that's not what he wanted me to do. I'm going to go back. I'll just, I'll just worship. He's called us all to action. 
We do not need to be concerned with other people's thoughts if we are honoring God with our lives. Eventually, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake as a heretic. Her crime of heresy wasn't that she, she led an army. Ultimately, her crime of heresy was that she wore men's clothes. Because in battle, that's what she wore. But that's a story for another time. When we look back, I think the best thing that happened to the French government during the Hundred Years' War is they had run out of sensible options. They came to a place where they realized they had nothing on their own. And this 17-year-old girl came in and said, I've got something for you, and it includes a God who's bigger than all of us. And you can rally behind it because there's victory with it, or you can keep losing. How about you? Are you out of sensible options, as the world might suggest? Well, there's not enough money. Too much month at the end of the money. There's not, a, not enough security. There's not enough this. There's not enough that. Maybe you're out of sensible options as the world might suggest. Ha, have you tried to make sense of things in your own life? Have you been fighting your battles on your own strength? It's time, Christians, that we begin to depend on El, the strong one, to go before you to fight those battles. It's time for you to depend on Jesus, the Almighty, to fight your battles. He's already won the war. I don't know what it looks like for you to allow him to begin fighting your battles. Maybe it's submitting to the Lord through baptism for the first time, for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe as a Christian, you just have come to a place where you feel that you're stuck and you're out of sensible options. Maybe you need to repent and begin a path of accountability and prayer with someone. Our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. Whatever your response is to God's word, know this. His strength is real. And nothing surpasses it. Will you think about these things and stand and sing our response song with us this morning and respond to God's word accordingly? Amen. He is indeed great and mighty among many other things. And we will continue this study in the names of God throughout this month. And it's been great to be here and worship with you all today. But now it's time to go. As you go this morning, go knowing that the strong one, El, has already gone before you. Go knowing that Jesus the Almighty is walking with you. And with that knowledge, go. And be a good reflection of both of them. Will you sing this last song with us?